Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for for several years. I'm walking beside him as he is on his recovery journey while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Leela Davis, a personal wellness coach from Seattle and co-host of the podcast, What I Didn't Tell My Therapist, which I was recently a guest on, by the way. The link is in the notes. She is certified as a holistic health coach in somatic attachment therapy, as a yoga of sound and vinyasa instructor in astrology and human design, and has spent decades as a multi-passionate creative, finding healing in the process of art making and performing. Leela is here to talk to us about her experience living with and managing bipolar one, as well as ADHD and complex PTSD. She will tell us what it's like to live with these conditions, and she will tell us what tools she's found to manage her symptoms without any prescription medication. We here at Safe Home Podcast are committed to destigmatizing mental illness, and we also love offering people practical tools. So whether you or someone you know has bipolar, ADHD, CPTSD, or just regular old depression or anxiety, you can use the tools that Leela has been trained in and that she uses day to day. Her story is empowering for those of us who feel misunderstood and mismanaged in our American healthcare system. She's found alternatives that work for her, and she helps others navigate their own wellness as well. Welcome to Safe Home Leela. Thank you so much. I feel honored to be on your lovely podcast. I've been binging it over (laughs) over the past week or so. Yeah, to prepare for your interview. And then I was just enjoying it so much that, yeah. (laughs) I'm so glad. I'm so glad it's resonating with you. And I don't think you have a teenager, but even still it resonates with you, which is great. I think that there's a lot more commonalities than we realize. Yeah. It's just maybe with teenagers, it's a little more raw and a little more, there's a bit more confusion, I would say. Yeah. It's a little inelegant when you're a teen. It's a little chaotic sometimes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, so can you help us understand what is bipolar one or what is bipolar period? And then what is the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two? Well, basically in the DSM-5, the main difference is that with bipolar one, one has manic episodes, which are basically high, high energy, high, you know, volatility. Uh It could be really any kind of emotion. It doesn't have to necessarily be Uh um, in a a bad thing. And also Mm -hmm. with those manic episodes, there's a Possibly a tendency toward hallucination. Okay, so that's bipolar one. Yes, bipolar one. And then bipolar two, which is really the first diagnosis that I received, is when you have hypomanic, which is like also higher energy levels and so forth, but it's more like a like a happy high, you know, super productive and, you know, on top of oh. the world and so forth, but there aren't really necessarily dangerous things associated with it. You're, you're more in control of like your, okay. your choices and so forth. But for me, what I was experiencing was a lot of depression. And oh, on the low end of things. Yeah, that was what was really bothering me. You know, that was since okay. age maybe 10. I can remember like these really oppressive, dark periods of time that I oh. couldn't 
really like I just didn't really understand why they were wow from age 10 yeah so how can they tell between regular old depression and manic or do they call it manic depression anymore that's the old diagnosis label now it's bipolar one or two now they call it bipolar yeah so how do they come up with bipolar two versus regular depression it just has a little bit more of the higher energy part to it yeah i walked into the office of the the psychiatrist and already had this idea that I had had bipolar 2 from a book that I had read by a psychologist. Okay. Lynn Redfield Jameson, Unquiet Mind. Oh, I know that book. I, I saw her speak once. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was incredible. So basically, the difference between depression is you really don't have any switching. You're kind of just stuck in the depression, right? Or where I could literally see I'd go for two weeks two weeks, maybe a month or so of this real dark period of basically depression. But then at some point I just pop out of it. It was almost like my energy just came in and to rescue me. So that hypomanic was kind of like, you know, the little Mary Poppins that came in and it's like, let's yeah. clean everything up that's and, that's you know. <laughs> okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so tell me again, how old were you when you were diagnosed with bipolar 2? They started with that, right? Uh, yes. I was diagnosed at 37. It was actually, I can remember oh, very okay. clearly. Yeah, it was much later. I could remember really clearly mm -hmm. because I was living in Manhattan at the time. And I went to the psychiatrist soon after, I would say maybe within the month after September 11th. So this was obviously oh. a really heavy time for everybody, you know, in, in the world, uh, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the country, especially in Manhattan, where I was living. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That, that was basically the straw that broke the, the camel's back. I had lost my job about 10 days previous. You know, I was heavily in debt. I was, you know, had been divorced. So there was a lot of real reasons for me to be depressed. But I was also like, yeah. I need help. And then I read this book of course. So, so everything was coming together. And um, I have family history where I can point to, oh, yeah, this runs in my family as well. So. Oh, okay. So did the psychiatrist say, okay, here you go. Here's some medicine. Or did you have to kind of prove it to them? Well, we had quite a long conversation. It was a long conversation. And you know, I'm well-educated. I know how to convince people. <laughs> I'd uh -huh. be a good salesperson. And, you know, like everything that I had said was basically, you know, uh, every, yeah, everything made sense. Uh, so he, yeah. you know, and he asked me all the questions and so forth. But especially that my dad had for sure um, undiagnosed bipolar because he was super he was uh, like the life of the party sometimes and then he was a monster and he oh you know had addiction gosh. issues and he never could really hold down a job oh there was a number of different things like he he was basically uh, textbook in a way so uh yeah it sounds, yeah. Like, it sounds like you might have had some childhood trauma regarding all that yeah thankfully my parents divorced when i was very young oh, okay yeah so i did experience trauma this is where like the cptsd comes through 
where there was a lot of neglect because my mother was a, a single mom mm-hmm. and she was super ambitious. Mm-hmm. And I also think on her side, her whole family had this, I would say Asperger's syndrome, you know, there, they just had this very, oh, okay. almost a flat effect in a way, didn't really understand emotions oh. and so forth. So oh. here I am going through these feelings, but she couldn't really respond to them, oh. not only because she was working, but also because there was a bit of, you know, there was a disconnect in a way, as far as her oh, trying to okay. give me the emotional support I needed. So basically from a very young age, from as young as maybe five or six, she was leaving me home alone for long periods of time. Oh. Uh-huh. And oh, wow. I always always have to like get myself ready for school and come home oh, wow. sometimes, you know, to make my own dinner. Like first grade, that's a lot of that's responsibility. Six. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. So oh. I my oh, my, uh, my mom loved me. I mean, I did wonder how much my mother loved me, but it was kind of this 50-50 thing of what I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. <laughs> when you're a little kid, you don't understand what's going on. But maybe as an adult looking back, you can see, oh, she loved me, but just didn't know how to do it. Yeah. Or, you know, as an adult, you can rationalize things. But as a kid, you just know, oh, hmm, no one's paying attention to me. Exactly. <laughs> that must have been really hard. Before my parents divorced, my dad was actually my caregiver. And so he's kind of, he was basically mom and dad. Because my mother was working, uh, pursuing uh, graduate work. We were actually in Norway the last the last period of time that we spent a lot of time together. So I was actually really close to him initially. And then that relationship severed and I would visit his family in the summers and so forth. But then at that point, he was just more interested in girlfriends and drinking and partying and that sort of thing. So I was mostly close to my grandparents and so forth. Oh, okay. Grandparents came and helped a little bit. Yeah. Oh, boy. It sounded like both your parents were otherwise engaged, had other stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. Felt bad. So when you got your diagnosis at 37, did it help, like, explain things to you? You're like, oh, that's why. Or did it make things worse getting that label? Well, it was my decision to get that label. From reading that book, see, I had this consciousness of something was not quite right for a very long time. So Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what was, quote unquote, wrong with me. Uh And so when I came across this book, it felt like Eureka, like, oh, Uh this is something I can be cured. But at the same time or not cured, but at least there's some way of addressing what's going on, you know, in my life, my, my personal experience. So I felt like I had agency. It wasn't as if somebody was yanking me into the therapist's office going, this kid's got problems. What's wrong with them? I was the one that was saying, I have problems. What's wrong with me or what, what's going on with me. But at the same time, I had a pretty good idea because I had read this book. So I would say that it was good and bad because once I went into the office, 
And I was open to medication at that point. Prior to that, I had watched all sorts of, you know, like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and, you know, oh, there yeah. are films and media and so forth. And, and I had read Sylvia Plath and, you know, The, uh-huh. the Bell Jar. And so there was a lot of cautionary yeah. tales around the mental yeah. health system and so forth. Mm-hmm. Which, so I was really kind of hesitant to enter into that world and be medicated and so forth. The psychiatrist was a really nice man and he agreed to just give me one medication actually. So I started out with Lamictal and for my studies over the years of medications and just listening also to other people's experiences, everybody experiences medications very differently. And so my experience was Initially, I didn't really feel like anything was that different, but slowly over time, I think it was really basically about a six month period that I was on it. I was sort of ramping up in energy. And the thing is, if you are misdiagnosed, so he thought that my issues were mainly the depression, which it was. But I had also had manic episodes, but I didn't recognize them as bad or anything. So I didn't really tell him the whole story, not mm-hmm. trying to to hide anything. It was just that lack of awareness. But you eventually decided not to do the medication. What was the turning point there? Well, I was actually having a pretty good life. At the time, I was getting involved with activism against the second Iraqi invasion. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Because of course after September 11th there was this big drumbeat for more war and yes. I became involved in sort of the anti-war movement within uh-huh. Manhattan at the time. Uh-huh. So I was super busy and I remember probably yeah, she's like a sister to me basically. She can tell me anything. <laughs> So she was, oh, okay. I, I think she, we had an appointment or she wanted to get together with me or something like that. And she's like, you're acting kind of weird. You know, you're acting a little edgy. Oh. And she knew that I was taking medication. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And that's kind of what happens when you're in a manic sort of state. There's a lack uh, of self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. When you're depression, you also have like a lack of self-awareness, but you know there's something wrong. In the manic state, you may not necessarily recognize there's something wrong. And so that's why people get really worried about that. I think Joey's had some manic episodes. He's not been diagnosed yet with bipolar, but it's kind of on the table as possibility. Mm -hmm. But when he gets into his manic phases or whatever, he's kind of arrogant and like, no, I'm fine. And kind of grandiose. Yeah. Like... I'm going to conquer the world and I'm going to be famous. And and he does stuff like move to Oregon with a couple of friends with no money and no prospects, you know, just like big giant things that kind of similar, that kind of energy Mm -hmm. that you had. Yeah, definitely. I was feeling very self-righteous when she had mentioned it, because, of course, when you're doing something like activism, you can get kind of caught into that save the world syndrome or yeah. and and actually you know it was a big deal yeah it was a big deal there's yeah. a lot of things that were in play and so I heard her but at the same time there was this sort of aggressive denial 
but I did hear it. And then I believe, and the thing is, I kind of lost a little track of time during that period. It might have been about two weeks after she brought this to my attention. Then I remember a particular night that I was by myself in a shared apartment and I was journaling and I was feeling this weird dysregulation. It was so strange to me and I knew it wasn't right. I I can't really explain to you like it was a knowing. I'm feeling really scared or anxious or angry or and I was writing, I feel like I'm going crazy. And then I was writing that again and again, and I could see my handwriting getting more and more erratic. It was almost like a scene from a movie where you're, you know, you have this camera over and you just see somebody like writing and their handwriting is getting crazier and crazier. And I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I didn't have any family. I had friends in the area, but I didn't have any family in New York. I didn't have a lot of money. And I was living on unemployment at the time. And I called my mother. She might have still oh, been yeah. been at work, possibly, or just getting out of work. So I basically said, Mom, I think I'm going crazy. And she's like, oh, no, you're fine. This is basically how she... <laughs> She, she she didn't really. So I was, I was like, Mom, really, it, it, you know, your close to 40 daughter <laughs> is telling you that she's going crazy. And I'm super self-reliant all these years, I, you know, from age five to 37. Uh, yeah, rarely yeah, would yeah. be raising the red flag about anything. And she finally got it. I mean, it didn't take that long. I didn't have to argue. And she basically just dropped everything she had a really serious career. She worked at a shipyard as an engineer on nuclear submarines. So that's, you know, that's like (laughs) a serious job. So she just dropped everything. And I guess she went on family leave. And I don't even remember how long it was that she was taking care of me. But basically, I decided to just go cold turkey off of this. Because it was the first time that I really felt out of control. Like, I felt like I don't, like, my body was hijacked by some strange thing. And I explained this to a cousin of mine who had had a stroke. And he says, gosh, it sounds like you went through a stroke almost. And that's when I really understood that my mother loved me. Like, that was kind of a turning point at that point because she, she really came through for me. Oh, nice. (sighs) And I wouldn't suggest anybody doing cold turkey at all. Like that was something that I I just decided. And I I have no idea about I mean, I haven't even looked at what the the titration for Lamictal is, which is a mood stabilizer. But I was going to ask if you told your psychiatrist you did that or did you never talk to them again or? Yeah, I actually did. As soon as my mom got back, I explained to her that I was going to not take the medication anymore. And she was never a pro med medication person anyway. She's very uh-huh. granola, crunchy type yeah. of hippie type of mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So that worked okay. Yeah. I told my psychiatrist, but he actually wanted to give me more. Oh. And I did try, I think it was like a Xanax or something like that to calm me yeah. down. And it was the weirdest experience because within... Maybe a half an hour of taking it, 
after we left the psychiatrist's office, I remember being in the car and then it was if my emotions were on like a radio, like the old radio where you oh, switch yeah. the knob and, and you, it could go back uh -huh. and forth or somebody was oh. like flipping the remote control on my emotional being and I would be Wow. Like, oh my gosh. I'm like, mom, I don't know what's going on with me. I'd be like raging at her and then I'd be crying and then I'd be laughing. And then I was I was so freaked out about my lack of control of my emotional system, which had never happened that way. It was it wasn't logical mm -hmm. in any way. It was a summer and I kind of jumped out of the car. We were at a standstill. I, it wasn't like a running car. Uh -huh. <laughs> it wasn't that crazy. But okay. I jumped out of the car barefoot and I was running down the street. It was like I was trying to get away from myself. Wow. And I'm, I'm just like, okay. what am I doing? <laughs> okay. So you're like, that's enough of this medication. Right. This is not good. Yeah. Wow. So what did you do instead of the, the traditional meds? You found healing or recovery on the recovery path, at least from your bipolar through other means, what have you used? Basically, it started with me making a commitment to my own healing. Oh. So I knew that I had this condition and mm -hmm. I knew at one point in my life I didn't have it. And I also knew that mm -hmm. there's periods of time of normality. So in my uh -huh kind of logical brain, I figured there must be a way of expanding that balance, you know, that normal balance. And so once I made that commitment, it was basically chipping away at all the things that were triggering, destabilizing. And so as like a holistic health coach, if I can go through that, it's this idea of like, we have these emotional states that are actually normal, but depending on what sort of imbalances in our life are going on, we can get stuck mm -hmm. or we don't know how to sort of uh -huh. flow back and forth. So I was always self-aware from, say, age okay. 12, I started journaling, you know, and I was journaling my, uh -huh. you know, my emotions. So it was a really a kind of a stripping of the onion. So... Okay. It's so hard to put it in sort of a nutshell, but basically it was just mm -hmm. a revamping of my whole life. So okay. kind of like feeding the babies that cry the loudest. So if I had a toxic relationship, uh -huh. maybe that was the most uh -huh. destabilizing. I'd be like, uh -huh. okay, we need to deal with that. And then the next thing, oh, okay. and then the next thing, and then the next thing. So the first time that I felt truly stable was when I had actually moved from New York which is a super chaotic place to live. Yeah, destabilizing. Yeah, oh, okay. exactly. And I I really felt it. Like I really felt it that I needed to move out. And I moved to Seattle and I established healthy relationships and started doing yoga and started my own business with my partner at the time and was eating healthier. I mean, basically four years later after my diagnosis, that everything came together, but it was actually within a fairly short amount of time, probably within a year of like making all these changes that I started to feel normal in the sense of that I wasn't mm. 
triggered so easily or that I was enjoying my life, that I was feeling purposeful and so forth and so on. And this was almost like accidental because I was just making sort of the life changes that I needed to make that I Uh felt sort of intuitively Uh driven to do. And then my present period has been more intentional. Like, oh, this is what I need to do. That was more kind of like an intuitive following the trail where Uh now the last five years, almost five years of stability has been more intentional. Like having the tools and going, this is what I need to do in order to stabilize. Uh It sounds like you have a lot of insight into yourself and you had done a lot of work along the way, Mm -hmm. even from a young child. If somebody doesn't already have some of those insights into themselves, then they need to hire you to be their wellness coach. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that some of the tools that really started me on my way was meditation. And there's Mm -hmm. many different types of meditation Mm -hmm. and yoga, which can be a body meditation. Uh The strength of it is that you're concentrating on your breath and you're listening to your body and you know, moving from one movement to the other and and being very mindful about what's going on. And it allows you some sort of peace within your body and your mind. Mm-hmm. So do you still practice meditation and yoga regularly? Yeah, I also do, as you mentioned, yoga of sound, which is mantras oh. and, and singing. And oh, nice. this is powerful stuff that has been working for people for thousands of years. But they found that just humming calms the sympathetic Mm. system, Uh you know. And so like there's this polyvagal theory where basically if we are calming our sympathetic or autonomic nervous system, that we can create a period of time or a pause where we can get agency over our emotional expression. Mm -hmm. And humming, singing, as Sanskrit is is a language that's created specifically to reap the, the best benefits of sound hmm. in your body. And so, oh, interesting. yeah, there's millions of people that are Hindus, but even if you don't ascribe to that, the power of the, the language vibrationally can work on anybody. Mm. Yeah, I believe that. I sound, I'm a musician, so I understand the power of sound and yeah. music and and putting intention behind it Woof. Mm, it's exactly. like turbocharged yeah. <laughs> yeah so th- those things seem so simple and like really mindfulness meditation yoga are you kidding me that's what you, you know <laughs> but it that's that's it right like it's like doing that quote unquote simple things is what kind of centers and grounds you emotionally. Yeah. And I think the main thing that I like about using these tools is that it familiarizes yourself with how your body works. For instance, like the somatic attachment therapy is a well, it's it can be a number of things, but there's like a certain type of focusing technique where you're literally starting out with a body scan of assessing how your body feels. And then with a trained partner who's just there as to witness and to to hold space, Mm -hmm. you're going in and identifying what's going on 
the sensations or the thoughts that come for a very brief mm -hmm. period of time, maybe as little as 10 minutes where you're uh -huh. creating, uh -huh. you're doing an inquiry and, and identifying different parts of what's going on in your body and talking mm -hmm. it out. And that often gives one a lot of insight and peace and integration because everybody has battling thoughts and sensations. You know, part of you wants to do the work. Part of you wants to sleep. Part of you wants to yeah. go party. I mean, <laughs> and then you have all these. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, you have all these sensations. And until one takes the time to get to know oneself and, and how one truly, as a full being, lives in the world, then we're often battling against ourselves rather than understanding and really satisfying the needs and the desires. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It sounds like you just have a lot of really great tools in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. Would you ever consider trying medication again? Or if at, at what point would you think, oh God, I guess I got to go back to the psychiatrist and ask for some meds? Or do you think that's never going to be an issue? Well, I feel a little hesitant to say this, but... At times, I do take edible marijuana or drink caffeine. Uh -huh. See, the thing is, I look at, for me especially, I'm neurodivergent, which includes the bipolar part. But it also, I've recognized that part of my volatility is related to my trauma. It's related to ADHD, which is different kind of processing of information and mm -hmm. that I'm very sensitive person. Yeah. The quality of light, how it textures, oh. how something uh, label on my uh, clothing can drive me crazy. So, yeah. So, yeah. So understanding these things and also substances, I realize their power. And so I don't really. Yeah, you're very sensitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like friends of mine love to drink. I never really liked drinking that much. I'll I'll drink a little bit, like literally one glass of wine will get me. Woo. <laughs> so if I'm feeling like I'm sliding down with my mood and I'm really what what's going on or whatever, there are times that I'll go, mm -hmm. okay, I've found that edibles work, and what it does. It's super powerful. So one has to be very conscious and very careful because one can pop into a manic episode with with oh, yeah. with yeah. that. That's why I don't like if I were already feeling like, woo, there would be no reason for me to want to take any substance because I'm already naturally high. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go overboard. And those edibles are very potent. Yeah. It's very easy to overdo it with those. So exactly. it sounds like you're very careful and it sounds like you really are aware of what's going on with you, which is really great. Yeah. And uh, so, so great that you're using those tools and the skills that you've learned to help other people. Mm -hmm. What does it look like if somebody were to hire you as a creative wellness coach? It wouldn't look like one way. <laughs> so I have two kind of introduction programs where... Basically, I'm also an astrologer and astrology has really helped me in my healing path. So that's why oh. that's an option. Not everybody believes in oh. it, but if that's something that resonates, that can be one entryway 
where Uh I look at Uh somebody's chart and basically what I'm looking at sort of the energies that reveal themselves Uh like a blueprint in a way. And then I familiarize Uh the person with what they can do to try different strategies Uh and how they express themselves through their chart. Then I also have an introductory path of learning what types of meditation practices can work for somebody. So basically what I want to do is introduce somebody to the tools of awareness. So these are two different types of awareness that one is being introduced like, oh, this is what's going on. So that's kind of the beginning. Like the person would have to decide, oh, I would want to go through sort of the meditation path or the the astrology path or maybe a combination of the two. And from that point, after a month or so, we start to really understand what issues are most important to address. Is it their diet? Is it their lifestyle? Is it their relationships? Is it... Uh their mindset. So from that point on, I start grabbing tools or, you know, I also am constantly looking at the internet and seeing what other things are going on there that might be helpful and steering them in those directions. So it's a very unique to each individual, basically. You're like a concierge. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) uh, Wellness. I have a bunch of tools, but there is no one way. And I would say that for people to be wary of coaches that say there's only one way. Even in my own life, there's never been one way. There's been many ways. And Uh sure, if that particular strategy that the coach has to offer really resonates with you, go for Mm -hmm. it. But if Mm -hmm. at some point it's not really working or you feel like you're being forced into a particular direction, and that includes any type of health practitioner, if, if you really don't feel like they're listening to you or working with you. And that's yeah. a real problem with mental health uh, and emotional health is people feel victimized by the people that yeah. are supposed to be helping them. Yeah, it sounds like you, you know how to navigate mm-hmm. and to get what you need or to help your clients get what they need. Because, yeah, it does feel like when you're in the traditional healthcare system, it feels like you're on a one-way path and with no road signs at all. And you're like, well, what the heck? What am I supposed to do now? I don't know. And so then you have these people just saying, this is what you have to do. Do this, do that, do this. But in the traditional model, they're just kind of throwing you the same stuff that they throw to everyone. Right. But it sounds like you really empower yourself and your clients to find really what works for them to get their mental health in a comfortable place. Does that sum it up for you? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. What happens, what what I feel like happens sort of in the standard medical system is that there's so many people coming, they don't have the time to really navigate a person's specific journey. And also even the ones that are more likely to do that, they don't have enough tools and it'll take years. And I personally don't want to be with somebody for years. Sure, if we're working on different yeah. issues, obviously, you know, you work on your relationship, you work on your mindset, you work on your body, you know, obviously that could take years. But mm-hmm. often there may be two or three issues that are really blaring that they need help. But once they get the awareness and once they have the tools and they know how to listen and how to help themselves, 
then they can Mm -hmm. deal with the rest of things on their own. And they could check in with me or somebody else to see if they're on track or for some support. That all sounds really, really good. Is there anything I haven't asked you about yet that you would like to talk about? I would just encourage people to start really listening to themselves just to try it on of being a little more non-judgmental about what's going on, practicing a little more self-compassion because ultimately you are going to be the one that heals yourself. If you really want to go to, to truly be free and have full agency and live your full life, it is really you are going to be the one and you need to figure out how to work with yourself. So that would be my invitation. (laughs) Very wise. And how would people get a hold of you? Well, I'm lucky to have my website in leeladavis.com. I got my own name. So, <laughs> so I have that Yay. website. People can DM me on Instagram at, at my piece of sanity. And that's peace is P-E-A-C-E as in calm, you know. Nice. And then, uh-huh. yes, uh, um, hopefully you'll listen to me and Jude, who also has uh, bipolar yes. disorder uh, and is another wonderful coach, a life coach at what I didn't tell my therapist. That's our close to weekly podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yep. I love that name. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely link all of that in the notes, the podcast and your website, Instagram handle and all of that. Well, thank you so much, Lila, for sharing. It was so delightful being on your show. Thank you for coming on our show and sharing your personal experience. You know, you're very vulnerable to come out here and tell us what it's like to you know, to live with bipolar and and the other things too, and and all the different ways you've learned to nurture yourself. I think that's very admirable. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me here. And I wish you the best with this wonderful show. And hi, Joey. (laughs) (laughs) Wish you the best too, Joey. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I invited Joey today, but he wasn't able to come today. But uh, he is in and out and I will make sure he knows that you said hello and his heart is still with us here. And he would be, I think he will be very interested in listening to this because he might have bipolar and he's very into all these alternative methods of self-awareness and all that. So I think this will really be good for him to hear. So, so thank you so much, Leela, for being here on Safe Home. I hope this episode has been helpful for you and maybe you're reminded of some tools you and or your teen can use to smooth out some of life's bumps. And since neither Leela or I are doctors, we always encourage you to get medical treatment if any mental illness might be on board. Check that out first. Make sure and find Safe Home Podcast on the social media outlets and Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash safe home. If you'd like to become a member of Patreon so you can support our show and help us maintain our commercial free status. Thank you, everyone. Please share this episode with whoever you think might benefit from it. Please share this really wealth of information. And Leela and I want you all to stay safe. safe.